Brad Hemming's father is Jamaican, his mother Trinidadian. Both islands are rich in culture and history. Jamaica has gifted to the world reggae music, while Trinidad and Tobago has gifted the steel drum, calypso, and soca music. It is with this potent blend of music, food, knowledge, and vibe that Brad Hemmings was raised. Brad grew up being influenced by and understanding the beauty of Caribbean music. He saw how Caribbean music could affect and change the world. When Brad was a teenager, he moved to South Florida. While South Florida may have had a similar temperature, the Caribbean it was not. Brad was forced to adjust to many things that he was not used to. However, he was introduced to facets of American culture that would aid in his development. He recalls getting a full and true understanding of hip-hop and being able to truly identify the relationship between it and the music of the Caribbean. Brad knew that a career in music was his future. Growing up in a musical family and around one of Jamaica's premier stage and lighting technicians, he quickly learned the business and formed relationships at every level. Unbeknownst to him at the time, those relationships would usher him into what would become one of the most successful companies to represent Caribbean artists globally. Brad's company, Caribbean Entertainment, has booked and represented some of the top artists in the world. In addition, he has been the catalyst to getting Caribbean artists into countries on every inhabited continent. Caribbean Entertainment is also the company that introduced China to its first Soka concert. With a who's who of artists on his roster, Brad can book you virtually any top Caribbean artists at virtually any venue in the world. Brad has also done the reverse, bringing some of the United States top acts into the Caribbean. Now, Brad and his team are adding to their already stellar accomplishments. They have now embarked on artist management, starting with global sensation Mr. Killer. But like any ambitious Caribbean entrepreneur, Brad Hemmings is not done yet. This is the story, thus far, of Brad Hemmings. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. is a music industry professional specializing in management, marketing, and booking. Brad Hemmings, welcome to Planet 30. Hey, Crispin. Thank you for having me, man. Thank you for being here. I uh, was trying to chase you down for a bit, but you're a busy man. You're a busy man, but I'm grateful to have you. Nice to be here, man. Nice to be here. All right. Now, Brad, you grew up where? Well, I grew up mostly in the States. You know, my background is Jamaican through my father, Trinidadian through my mother. I was born in Jamaica, but I grew up a little bit in Jamaica, a little bit in Trinidad, and then I moved to the States as a teen. Very, very interesting background. It's kind of like having one pep, one, one, one parent is Pepsi and one is Coke at times. <laughs> <laughs> I call myself the original Ragasoka. Huh? Ah, there you go, there you go. <laughs> 
the, the, the two islands are so competitive when it comes to certain things. That's brilliant, brilliant. Now, yeah, man. <laughs> what was what was the dream growing up? Was it always music or was there something before? Actually, I'm from a musical family. So, you know, I was kind of raised in the industry. You know, my uncle, he's actually my first cousin. But, you know, in the islands, you call people much older than your uncle, uncle and auntie. Yeah. You know, regardless of, you know, the actual relation. Um, so my first cousin, who I grew up calling uncle, is John Swaby. Okay. who's like a legend in the game in Jamaica. He owns, you know, all the lights, sound and stage. He's done all the music festivals like Reggae Sumfest, um, Air Jamaica Jazz and Blues when that was around. So every major performer who had ever come to Jamaica anywhere between 1970 up until now, you know, chances were that it was his production. So everybody from Celine Dion, to people you may or may not have heard of, like, I don't know, Michael Jackson and the Jackson 5. I don't know if you know those guys. Mm. Um, of course, you know, Bob Marley, you know, all the Jamaican artists, but, you know, a lot of the international artists. So I grew up around him. And he didn't have a son until recently. So I was his little protege, you know. He he would show me the ropes. Interesting. And so the uh, you, you got bitten immediately. So oh, yeah. From I remember myself, I've been around the industry. So there was never a plan B? Nah, if you have a plan B, then guess what? <laughs> you know, if you have a backup plan, you, you know what you're going to do, right? You, don't really, you really don't want the first one. <laughs> <laughs> if you have a backup plan, you're going to back up. Oh, gems. Gems, I like that one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Growing up around such a, a, a rich um, culture, you know, both both on the Jamaican and Trinidadian side, um, do you remember what first, do you remember the first artist or, or piece of music that had a, a significant impression on you? Oh, well, of course, you know, growing up anywhere in the Caribbean, Bob Marley is going to be one of the first artists that really jumps out, you know what I mean? And, and impacts your life. Um, but many others, you know, Black Uhuru, and then of course, from the Trinidadian side, Mighty Sparrow, even though he's technically Grenadian, <laughs> but... You know what I mean? That's a forever fight. Yeah. <laughs> if, if it's one thing we don't have a shortage of in the Caribbean is music. Indeed, indeed. And and during the time when you were, say, for example, a teenager, uh, who were you who was Brad listening to at that time? Who were you vibing to? Oh, man, as a teenager, it was a combination of Caribbean music, of course. You know, Black Uhura was really, really strong when I was a teen, you know, not to... Not to age myself, right. but um, <laughs> they had some pretty big hits. And then, of course, you know, the U.S. side of things started seeping in. You know, breakdancing was a big thing. And, you know, I was in a little breakdancing crew in Jamaica. So, yeah, I was listening to, you know, some of the run DMCs and some of those kind of music, too. Mm -hmm. and, and how was the transition for you? Um, I'm always interested uh, when I have guests that, used to live in the Caribbean and then transitioned to the U.S. How was that How was that for you in terms of culture shock? Man, it was a major culture shock because I went through a year and a half of high school in the States, you know? And, you know, I went from growing up in a culture where the teacher comes in and everybody stands up and the teacher says, you know, good afternoon, and the whole class repeats back, good afternoon, Mr. or Mrs., you know, Smith or whoever it was, to, you know, the teacher walking in the class and people could curse in class and all kind of 
all kind of bacchanal, you know. So it was quite interesting to see to see the difference between the two cultures. Interesting, because um, and w- what state were you in? Were you in a in a in a cold state or warmer but state? No, I was I was in Florida, which which okay, you know, is, yeah, we still kind of in the Caribbean, Car- Caribbean, Florida, Caribbean esque, especially in South Florida, <laughs> Caribbean esque. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you're growing up around all this music. You transitioned to high school in the U.S. Right. What, what what were the first steps you took into really getting into the industry? Well, that's interesting because I wore many different hats in the industry. You know, like um, like most people in the field, I kind of started off as a performer. I'm a musician. A lot of people don't know that. I was going to ask. And- <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I like to surprise people at Soundcheck every now and then because most people know the corporate and the business and the serious side of me. But every now and then at Soundcheck, I'll pick up an instrument because I play pretty much every instrument except the drums, you know, and I'll pick up pick up an instrument and just start playing during Soundcheck and, and you know, freak everybody out. <laughs> <laughs> do do, do you, you, you sing as well? I Yes, I, I have sang. You know, I'm, I'm obviously not the best singer, or I wouldn't wouldn't have switched to the the business side of things. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I can sing. Um, you know, I'm I'm very much on the creative side of things, which which helps me to work with the artists that I do work with because I do understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. and I've also been on that side of the fence, so to speak. Got it. Got it. So you were you were initially. Uh, putting your, your your toe in the arena of being a musician, and what prompted you to to switch over to the corporate? Uh, you know what it it wasn't it wasn't a conscious decision. I'd like to say it happened organically. Mm. You know um, what had happened was, you know, growing up in the industry, I happened to know so many people. You know, just just from being around them. You know, so they were they were uh, they. Not only were they colleagues, but they were friends, you know, and um, I had an opportunity where someone called me for a festival and they say, hey, well, you know, you know, so and so. And, you know, we would like them for a show. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, OK, cool. Let me let me organize that for you. And of course, I called the artists, booked the artists for the show. And so began my business side of the business wow. of the industry. So you so you started as a booker. I started as a booker. Uh-huh. Correct. Okay. And then how did that is it that you you saw a need like there was a gap or something that was going on within the industry that you 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 saw the need for someone like yourself to start doing uh, promoting concerts or organizing concerts? Right. Well, I mean, so it happened like I said organically, you know, I started booking artists because I knew them. And once it's, it started happening more and more, then I realized, wow, you know, here's here's um, something that, that could take off if I took this seriously, mm-hmm. you know. And then what I also noticed was that there was a lack of professional representation, mm, you know, indeed. within that, with, within our region, you know. So what I tried to bring to the table, you know, was that uh, that, that U.S. work ethic so to speak, you know what I mean? Like some of the, um, I wanted to use some of the, the, the U.S. companies as a benchmark, but also represent Caribbean talent 
with that professionalism. Tell me about some of the difficulty, because I know having the quote-unquote U.S. work ethic and attitude, there's a lot of pushback many times. So how did you, how were you able to navigate that aspect? Well, you know, I actually I didn't, I didn't really have a lot of pushback, so to speak. You know, I was, I, I think because I came from such a different perspective that it was so refreshing that I was embraced. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I would say, you know, almost automatically, you know, and within, I don't know, within within a, the first two or three years where I, I decided to formally launch my company and incorporate it in the U.S., which made me, you know, stand out from, from some of my, um, I wouldn't say competitors, but my colleagues, you know what I mean? I was one of the few companies representing Caribbean music that was actually based in the U.S., you know, that was incorporated in the U.S. And within a few years of incorporating and launching the company, you know, we were operating on every inhabited continent. We were doing tours in Africa, Australia, Asia, North America, South America, Europe, you know. Um, the only place we hadn't booked is Antarctica, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting because, you know, I, I was reading information about the company and I'm wondering, how come nobody tried this before? Like, this is genius. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not the first. And, you know, there's there's colleagues of mine that, that are doing great jobs as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm not the only person in the game. You know, there, there were some companies based in Jamaica, some companies based in Barbados that are doing phenomenal jobs. You know, and some of them we work very closely with, even though we're competitors, we're friendly competitors. You know, so I just think there's, I think the demand and and the the need for Caribbean music is so large that that it outweighs any one company. Larger, I think there's enough space for us. Larger than we know sometimes, actually. I think. Exactly, and I think being based internationally actually helped to open some doors that that some of the some of the companies that were actually based in the region didn't have, you know, necessarily access to. You know what I mean? Yeah, understood. Now, Brad, I know you're being modest. <laughs> I know you guys are, are friendly <laughs> competitors, but Caribbean entertainment has, has sort of risen. I mean, there's levels, right? Can you name some of the festivals that you've managed and, and or produced? Oh, man, I'm, we've been blessed to have worked with uh, so many festivals around the world, um, including... Festivals and venues. I mean, we we work with the Smithsonian in uh, Washington D.C., which is you know a, a very well revered uh, institution. We've worked with the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. Um, one of the festivals that I would say I'm the most proud of is the Amsterdam Reggae Festival, which we helped to launch in 2009 and booked it exclusively from 2009 to. I want to say 2012. Um, you know, we've worked with just about every major festival around the world. But one of the things that, that I'm most proud of and one of our initiatives was to really open doors for Caribbean music. So getting artists on in, into regions, on, onto festivals that they typically didn't have access to before is is really something that we're proud of. Right. And and I noticed that um 
when you cross the corporate line, you guys really cross the corporate line. Um, you booked, uh, although he was definitely an international sensation. Oh, sorry, he is an international sensation still. Ayaz. Um, oh, absolutely. You, you guys booked him at an Audi, the launch of an Audi vehicle, which is like unprecedented for Caribbean artists. Right. Oh, well, we did two firsts with IS and, and shout out to IS and shout out to Diction. I know you've had both of them. Both of them, yeah. On your podcast before. Um, we we had IS for the first ever Junior Olympics in Singapore. So it's the same Olympics, basically, for for um, people under 18, I believe it is. Mm-hmm. And so they contacted us to do the opening ceremony for the first ever Junior Olympics and we did that in Singapore with Ayaz, and that was amazing. Um, what was really amazing about that is that we actually ran into the British Virgin Islands team while we were there. And then the event that you were talking about, Audi contacted us because they were launching a brand new vehicle, the Audi A1. The A1. Right, which was geared towards college students. And so obviously they wanted to get somebody in that demographic, somebody in that age range. And so, yeah. We, we um they contacted us and we booked IS for that in Belgium. That was quite interesting. That's interesting. I mean, of all the artists from all the regions in the world, they wanted that Caribbean pop sound. Interesting. Yeah, man. Well, Caribbean pop is an international sound, you know. You know, it's really incredible, like, the places that, that we've gone. That when, when I was a child, if you had told me that I would be seeing places like Russia and Australia and these places because of, you know, Caribbean of music. music. yeah. I, I would not have believed you, but yeah. Interesting. It was quite amazing. Now, the International Caribbean Festival, which was held from 1997 to 2008, you guys produced it in its entirety, and you set the uh, an attendance record of 30,000 people back in 03. I mean, right, right. Amazing stuff. And um, why do you think this festival um, worked on so many levels, you know, when others would have tried and failed? Um, Not calling out anybody else, but I'm saying that there must be a method to the madness that is the Brad Hemmings way. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm definitely not going to take full credit for that. You know what I mean? You know, a festival of that magnitude involved a lot of different people. And, you know, I was I was blessed of being a part of the team, you know, and, and an instrumental part of the team. But the reason that festival really was successful uh, was not only our vision, but, you know, when vision and luck and timing all line up together, you know, it's it's a beautiful thing. It's a blessing. You know what I mean? I'm sure mm-hmm. you've heard the saying that um, luck is when opportunity meets preparedness. Meets preparation, yep. <laughs> preparation, exactly. So that was just one of those years when, you know, before they started taking away everybody's visas, you know, when you still had Vibes Cartel coming to America, you know, um, Sizzla was at his, one of his peaks, you know, with with uh, with an amazing album that year. Um it was just such an amazing lineup. And of course, uh, a, a major part of that too was where everybody else was just doing reggae alone and reggae festivals and reggae concerts. You know, we 
decided to do a pan-Caribbean festival and we incorporated soca along with the reggae. You know what I mean? Which is which is part of my mandate and, and kind of comes from my background also. You yeah. know what I mean? Being half Jamaican, half Trinidadian. Trinidadian. I've always wanted to give soca the same opportunities that reggae and dancehall have gotten. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Brad, tell me, as, as someone with this much experience, what are some of the missteps that you've noticed um, that some young promoters make when they're throwing like their first couple of events? What are some of the things that they should look out for? Some of the missteps that they should avoid? Right. Well, one of the major things is when you try to do everything yourself, you know, when you try to do all aspects of an event without um, allocating some of that work to to some of the people that specialize in those areas, you know, I think that's where, you know, people go wrong a lot of the times. You, you need to know how to delegate, you know. For instance, you know, we're, I, I, tell, I tell promoters this all the time because booking has been, you know, a very successful venture for us. You know, when you call artist XYZ, as a promoter who's doing a concert, you may have been doing it for the first time. Maybe you do it every year. You're calling that artist maybe for the first time or maybe every two years, whereas a booking agent such as myself will call that artist every week because we're booking them on multiple concerts. You know, so if you're thinking, oh, you know, XYZ person is my friend, man, because I met them one or two times and me and them have a cool vibe and everything. I'm going to call them and, and put this together. You know, you, you may not have any context as to, as to, you know, the historical fees that artists may charge. You know what I mean? You may not have any context to what their travel party may be. And so now you're just relying on their good, their goodwill. You know what I mean? You know, whereas someone like myself now, I have to make it work for both the artists, I have to make it successful, I have to make a win-win situation for both the artists and the promoter. Constant negotiation. You know? Right. You have to negotiate you have to negotiate terms that are favorable for both parties involved, you know, so that at the end of the day the artist can go home feeling feeling happy that he had a fair deal, you know, and the promoter can also you know, do well because without without both people doing well, then you don't have sustainability. You don't have the ability to do it in the future again. Right, which is very important even for you as a booker. Absolutely, absolutely. As in any business, you want repeat business. You want people to call you back again. You know, so you, you want to make sure that the artist is happy. You want to make sure that the promoter is happy. You want to make sure the musicians are happy. You know, so that's I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls is when someone feels like I, I'm going to do all of this on my own. You know, you need specialization. You need someone who knows how to market an event. You know, that comes on their whole other wing. You know what I mean? You need to know you need to have somebody who's who's a specialist at, at light, sound and stage. Everybody plays their role. That's the only way you're going to have a successful team. Or successful venture. So many layers to this thing. <laughs> yeah, man. Like Shrek said, onions. Onions, <laughs> onions. <laughs> so, Brad, t- tell me, what is the importance of festivals to Caribbean economies? Oh, man. Uh, very important. 
very, very important because as you know, and, and we're feeling this right now in, in, you know, in this time of COVID and 2020, uh, the Caribbean thrives on tourism. That is our number one industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And most of the successful events, you know, starting with Trinidad Carnival, Jamaica Sumfest, are used as what are called destination events. These are events when people are thinking about, hmm, where am I going to go visit? Where am I going to go visit on my next vacation? If you give them a compelling reason by putting on a festival at a peak time, they will go there. You know, that, 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 is, that is a draw, you know. So events such as, I um, already mentioned Trinidad Carnival, Jamaica Sumfest, uh, St. Martin Carnival, Dominica has the World Creole Festival. Um, every island has that flagship event that will draw people back to the island. Um, not just tourists, but also, you know, the diaspora, the people living living abroad Indeed. they will use that as the one trip back home for the year to make sure that they go take a jump you know in Trinidad Carnival or or Spice Mass in Grenada and they'll see everybody that they know one shot they see everybody that they know they see some new people they see people they went to school with you know the scene man August Monday I don't have to tell you that yeah <laughs> <laughs> indeed indeed <laughs> right what do you think uh, governments can do, especially um, to help? Let, let, let's let's just imagine, you know, post COVID when things go back to quote unquote normal, if we'll ever get there. What can governments do to assist uh, with festivals and the arts in general? Right. Well, I think to be fair, huh? governments have been doing their part pre COVID. You know, um, I think they they understand the value of the music, the culture, the destination events, um, the value that it adds to bringing tourists to the region. So they've always been very, very involved in the arts and the culture. And and so we have to give them a shout out and we have to tip our hats to them because pre-COVID, you know, that was always a part of, of, of their mandate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so when things do resume, and I'm a firm believer we're going to go back to normal. You know what I mean? Because in the Caribbean, we love carnival too much to ever think that it's not going to happen in the future at some point in time. You know, we love a fete. We love a concert. You know, things will go back to normal. I think the governments uh, will, will definitely have to play a very aggressive role in, in helping to... Um, subsidize the arts because it will take a minute before people are able to 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 revitalize the industry again so i think the governments are going to play their part um and also everybody else in the industry will also have to 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 be flexible and to realize hey this is a reset we starting again you know what i mean um some of the artists are going to have to be a little bit more flexible Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? To, to, to help the promoters to get back on their feet, you know, which, you know, we've, we've had these conversations throughout, throughout the uh, pandemic. You know, these, these have been ongoing discussions because we have to prepare. We have to be ready for when things do resume. 
<laughs> you seem to be able to um, Caribbean entertainment uh, through you. You guys seem to be able to pivot and do different types of events. Um, many promoters sort of only, I am a reggae promoter. I am a soccer promoter. I am a music promoter. You guys are able to take music and inject it in different arenas. How? What is the importance of being able to, to swerve and pivot in this industry? It's very important. It's very important because I think the ultimate dream for any performer in, in the Caribbean, or I think anywhere, is worldwide recognition. Right. Right? You know, the ultimate goal is, yes, you you, you want to have your music large at home, you know, that that is that is that is great. That's the first step. But beyond that, you know, you want as many people listening to your music as possible. You know, you want access to to the global stage. You know, so I think it's it's very important to be able to um to take the music internationally. And you know, for us, we our our um, tagline is as Caribbean entertainment is taking the Caribbean to the world and the world to the Caribbean. So it's very important that, you know, for, for us to take the music internationally, um, one of the main ways that we're able to do that is to pair ourselves or, you know, to associate ourselves with international artists. You know, I can give you a number of examples. Being Imana Maya, you remember that tune? Of course. Um, Sean Paul and Beyonce. Beyonce. You know, um, these these are this is definitely a platform that that helps the music helps to push the music forward. And so, for us, it, um, the way that we've been able to accomplish that is by when we do have the opportunity to take an artist internationally on the international stage. You know, we also make sure that we pair them, we introduce them to, you know, some of the international artists that we work with as well. You did something seemingly impossible. <laughs> you guys <laughs> took China, uh, you you guys took Soka to China. Tell us about that. Oh man, that was a great experience. Um, we were contacted by the Chinese government and they wanted to put on the first ever Caribbean music festival in China. So they flew me up to Beijing uh, ahead of time to have a meeting with them to discuss what their goals were. And, uh, you know, basically what, what had happened was their um, president went to the Caribbean and fell in love with the music and said, wow, I need to have this music represented here in China, which was incredible. So them not knowing much about Caribbean music, you know, outside of, of course, you know, the Bob Marley's and the Shaggy's and, and, and so forth, contacted our company as tastemakers and organizers of this festival. And um, basically, they, they identified uh, eight different countries that they wanted us to submit an artist from each country and take them over to China and, and uh, have them perform at, at this festival. So it was a great opportunity for cultural exchange. It was a great opportunity to take performers, you know, who had never been to Asia before, you know, to, to let them see another side of the world, to see another culture, and to also perform 
you know, for for these artists. And and um, we took our own film crew. By the way, we have a really awesome video up on our YouTube channel. Uh, you you can access that channel from our website, CaribbeanEntertainment.com, and uh, have a look at that festival and and. What was amazing about it was not just the performances, not just seeing soca music, and of course, you know, reggae and and some of the French Caribbean represented in China, but behind the scenes, everybody had an opportunity to go and visit places like the Great Wall of China, you know, and Tiananmen Square and and things like that. So that was that was really an amazing experience, and and I was very honored to have been a part of it. Definite cultural uh, exchange. Who were some of the artists yes. that you guys took into into China? Uh, we took Tizzy from Antigua, Rupi from Barbados, um, Everton Blender from from uh, Jamaica, Jamaica, Mr. Killer from Grenada who was one of the highlights. I can um, imagine. Little bit from Trinidad and Tobago. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Are just some of some of the many artists that we took. Wow, 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 wow! Tizzy is one of my favorite um, female artists. Oh, definitely. Man, well, I shouldn't say female performer. artist. Period. <laughs> she's just man, she's such an amazing performer. Brad, are you currently managing any artists? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, one of the artists that we're most excited about under our management portfolio is Mr. Killer from Grenada, Mr. Alice Map. Big, An amazing, amazing performer, amazing artist, big artist, huge, <laughs> huge, huge, next huge. level. Yeah, and you know, pre pre um pre COVID, we had such an interesting year for Mr. Killer, um, mapped out, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> his name is Alice Matt. <laughs> but um, you know, we we started off the year first of all releasing an EP with Major Laser which uh, was their first ever exclusively Soka EP. So that was exciting within itself. And um, we had his first show ever in Africa scheduled for April. We had um, Ultra Music Festival with Major Lazer in March. We had such an amazing year. But as you know, know, things, things changed very quickly. But um, it was just, you know, it's it's a slowdown, and it gave us the opportunity because, uh, you know, with with every crisis comes opportunity. Gave us the opportunity to to just really say, all right, let's get in the studio, let's make some new music, and let's be prepared for when things do pick back up again. Hmm. I, I think there's going to be an explosion of music when things do pick back up because everybody has downtime. It's crazy. Listen, Crispin. The first place to have carnival post COVID. Oh my God. <laughs> Nine months later, you're going to see a population explosion. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> and you know, it, and people are really craving. I mean, literally, you had Trinidad and Anguilla were the only two places to have carnival. Anguilla had right. carnival internally, though. Nobody could get in. Right. Right. So Trinidad really was the only one to, to have like you know the massive festival where people could actually come in, and yeah. people are fiending, man. Like it's it's like I'm seeing T-shirts at this point that are like right. you know <laughs> missing Carnival, and the Brother, first one to let Tabanka is real. Yeah, the first the first country to open the gates, as it were, is right. going to be every hotel is going to be booked, every restaurant is going to be full. Oh my god. 
God, it's going to, it's going to be an experience, huh? When we finally get back into Fed, when we finally get back into Carnival, I was blessed. I was so fortunate to to have been in Trinidad for Carnival this year. You know, I was there with um with Mr. Killer. You know, we had a great song, Soka Storm, mm-hmm. this year, and I, I was blessed to to have been there because who knows when that's coming back? Hopefully, twenty twenty two. You know, that's right. all we can hope and pray for right now. Well, you know, <laughs> I think God willing. Let's say it comes back in 2022. I think there's going to be like a five or six year run where Caribbean islands are just going to be filled with, you know, those festivals I I believe are going to do so well because everybody that was promising themselves, okay, next year, okay, next year, will say, oh yeah, in case this happened again, let me go now. (laughs) Yep. Yep. I agree with you 100%, brother. Yeah. You know, I think what this has done is given us an appreciation Oh, you yeah. know, for for everything that we took for granted. You never miss because, the water till the well run dry. <laughs> yeah, you said it perfectly, you know. Everybody who said, boy, trend that carnival, man, this year I'm busy, I'm going to go next year. No, sir. Mm-hmm. It may not be a next year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Facts, facts. You know? Facts. Now, you, you know, you spoke about Mr. Killer. He's always done it his way. I think that's one thing I've admired about him. As an artist, what are some of the things that you look for when you when you're going to say, okay, we would like to work with that artist? What are some of the, um, I'd say, the traits that an artist has to have, you know, for for Caribbean entertainment to work with them? Well, traits, um, definitely. Well, first of all, we what? have to see the potential, right? You know, um, we have to be able to look at an artist and and see not only potential but potential for growth because you know if they're already if they're already at their peak, if they're already, you know, doing as, as, as best as they could possibly do, then there's no need for us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because what, what I do particularly is develop artists, you know? So someone like Mr. Killer, for example, an amazing performer. I can't teach him nothing about performance, right? I can't teach him nothing about his music because that he, he was already, you know, an amazing performer an amazing musical artist, you know, but what I could do now, you know, is, is see the potential for growth in terms of, okay, does he have what it takes to be on the international stage, you know, to, to not only play in Grenada and Trinidad and the diaspora, but can we take this artist to a place like China and have them make an impact you know, and so that that is really what we look for is potential. Um, my particular area of interest when it comes to Caribbean music is taking the music into new markets, is, is taking somebody and realizing their full potential beyond, you know, just playing in the Caribbean. Can you offer some advice on building bridges internationally? You know, taking people like Mr. Killer to China and having them, you know, turn up the place, basically. How were you able to even, beyond China, because they called you, how were you ab- right. able to to get Caribbean artists through some of these doors that you have gotten them through, really? Uh, speak a little bit about the power of negotiation and the power of networking. Right. Well, networking is quite important. Huh? And um, as, as you alluded to earlier, I've been working with, uh, with a number of international artists and you know how that actually happened was 
I started booking them in the Caribbean. I started creating those relationships because as you know, and a lot of those festivals in the Caribbean, you know, have a mixture of international talent as well as regional Caribbean talent, you know? St. Mar- Martin Carnival is famous abroad. for that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, no, having lived abroad, I was able to, you know, to, to create some of those relationships with, with some of the international artists. Um, you know, I grew up in Florida, but I'm now in Los Angeles where, you know, just about anywhere you go, you're going to you're going to meet, you know, somebody in the industry, whether it's, you know, music or film. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So having created those relationships, um, a lot of those festivals in the Caribbean started reaching out to me and saying, hey, you know, we would like, um, for example, Rick Ross, who have done most of his Caribbean dates, I would say maybe 80 percent of his dates, including his first time ever in the Caribbean. You know what I mean? Mm hmm. And then, you know, they will call you for people like Wyclef again, you know, someone, even though he's of Caribbean descent, you know, everyone thinks of him as an international artist because he really is, you know. And uh, so having those relationships that I, that I initially formed by booking them in the Caribbean, but eventually was able to book them elsewhere, you know, for instance, Nelly, um, who have brought to St. Martin. I'm sure you guys, you know, sure the Anguilla Massive came over for that. Of course. You know, <laughs> I've also booked Nelly now in Europe. I've, did, I've done a European tour with Nelly. I took Nelly for his first show ever in Thailand. You know what I mean? So having the opportunity to book those artists in those markets, what I've always done was now go back to those same festivals, go back to those same venues and say to them, hey, you know, Nelly was great. What, what do you think about, you know, Kevin Little? You know, what do you think about Ayaz? You know, and then start building those bridges, you know, opening doors wherever possible. Because, you know, living in the U.S., having the opportunity to work with, you know, international artists is great. But coming from the Caribbean, it's my mission to create those opportunities to open, you know, to, to be an ambassador and, and to open those doors worldwide. Wonderful. And obviously there must be some value that you bring to the table on both ends because, you know, big international artists, um, they want to know that when they book with somebody, they're not getting cheated. Right. You know, and unfortunately in the business, there's not many people that, um, that, that, that people can trust. So when they find a, when they find a Caribbean entertainment is, I guess it's kind of like, Hey, let's stick with these guys. Right. Right. Well, you know, I, I always operate in full transparency, you know, I, I believe that's, that's essential. If you want to be in business, you know, for life, if you want to be in this game for, for, you know, the long term, you have to be fully transparent with everybody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to hustle and, and make a quick money here and there, then, you know, then you can do questionable business practices. But I've always operated on the full transparency. And, and that's why I've been able to, you know, to have so many years in the industry and to hopefully have many more ahead of me. Mm-hmm. Are there any new artists that are out there that, that you not necessarily have your eye on for management, but you, you enjoy their music or you see a bright future for them? Oh, there's, there's always a new crop coming up, 
you know, and it's it's very exciting to watch and, and see the development of new artists in the industry. Um, you know, people from Trinidad, like Nessa Preppy, is doing amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've had the opportunity to work with her on, on a couple of occasions. Um, Motto from, from St. Lucia. Uh-huh. Uh, there's too many artists, man. Too many artists. Nice, nice. Now, Brad, this is always an interesting question. I, I discussed this with um, one of my former guests, Nigel Campbell, who's a who's a music businessman and writer as well. And I've heard of Nigel, man, of course. Of yeah, there you go. And uh, <laughs> my question to him was the same question I'll probably pose to you: What can artists from, especially the smaller islands, do to improve their chances of quote unquote making it? Okay. That is a very interesting question. What can artists from the small islands do to increase their chance of making it? Um, you you definitely have to make music that's bigger than your island. Mm-hmm. You know, it's great to sing a song about jump up and wave, or or something that's specific to your island or to even the region. But if you want to to go internationally, you have to sing about the topics that that everyone can relate to. You know, that's why the most popular soca songs worldwide have been songs like Kevin Little. You know what I mean? Turn me on. Turn me on. You know, no matter where you come from, no matter what language you speak, everybody has had that experience that 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 he's speaking of in the song. Everybody's been turned on at one point. You know what I mean? Arrow, Everybody's arrow, experienced arrow, attraction. Arrows, hot, hot, hot. Same, same arrows, gen- hot, general hot, hot. theme. Yes, yes. You have to have, you have to have a theme. You have to have some. You have to have a topic that goes bigger than than your music, bigger than your region, to go internationally. And then the next thing, which is very important, is you have to team up with the right producers. You have to have good music. You have to have good quality music. You know, and also a lot of people don't realize this too. You know, it's not every singer, especially some of the biggest singers that you've ever heard, writes all of their own lyrics. Mm-hmm. You know, in the real music industry, you have songwriters. Sometimes you're blessed to have people who are both songwriters and singers. But once you start bringing people who specialize, you know, in songwriting in, into the mix, you know, then you're going to you're going to see your music open up. Very interesting, because you know the the thought a lot of times is that okay, our island's population is not as big as Trinidad and Jamaica, and that is what's preventing us. No, boss. Look at Saint Vincent. It, look, the two biggest soca songs internationally, the three biggest, because you mentioned Arrow there, mm-hmm. right? You have. Kevin is a term me on. You have Ruby tempted to touch. You have Arrow, hot, hot, hot. Um, you also have Alison Hines, can't leave out the Soka Queen. You know, roll. roll. These are songs that you'll hear no matter where you go in the world. And then one, and at one point, who let the dogs out? <laughs> eh? I said at one point in time was who let the dogs out, but but and interesting. Who let the dogs out from it, the Bahamas? It came to the well, Bahamas, you know. Right, right. The, the Bahamian version was the most popular one, but. Those those songs that I just mentioned, those top three, top four songs there, none of those are from Trinidad and Tobago. You know what I mean? 
None of those are from Jamaica. Those are smaller islands, you know. Kevin, Kevin is definitely the biggest one um, in recent times. Mm-hmm. That song has been covered. Chris Brown just re we um, sampled it recently. He sure did. You know what I mean? It's been covered in so many different languages. You know that song is just incredible, and it's from Saint Vincent. It's not. It's not one of the quote-unquote bigger islands. So, Brad, you said. Uh, once that you'd like to see other genres of Caribbean music do well, whether it be Zouk, Soka, Compa, etc. Now, what must those communities do to even get on the level of reggae? Like, what did reggae get right that other genres aren't getting right yet? Okay, that's a very good question. Now, when you talk about reggae, you have to talk about who, which artist comes to mind? Bob, of course. Right, Bob Marley, yes. Okay, so one of the main reasons Bob was so successful was his producer, Chris Blackwell. Blackwell, yeah. Right? And what Chris did when he signed Bob was he marketed Bob as a rock star, Mm. you know? And he took elements of different music, and and I recommend any artist who's, you know, getting started or you you may already be on your way go watch these documentaries to see how these people became successful he took american and british musicians and put them on bob marley's record to make that roots rock reggae sound which at the time in jamaica initially people were like yo what baba tried to man you know <laughs> it wasn't you know I mean? yo how the man i mix up the sound so you know what I mean? But what he did is he created roots rock reggae. You know, he brought in an international sound to the music and, and made it more accessible to other people. So we have to find we have to find that middle ground. You know, we can't quote unquote sell out and just go out there and, and switch up the music. You know, you have to find that ground where it's still authentically Zouk, it's still authentically soca, dancehall, reggae. It still has our flavor, but we've blended in some of the international flavors now so that, you know, it so that it can reach further. You know, when I was in college, I had a housemate and, you know, obviously the houses in the United States, there's sheetrock in between the rooms. And, right. you know, back in the day, <laughs> before you got older and your ears could actually take it, I had a, <laughs> I had a subwoofer to this world, man. And it was nothing named soft when it came to my music. And right. my housemate was from uh, the South, uh, Mississippi. Uh, and he would right. always come, man, what is that music you play? Man, I don't understand. You know? And so right. one day he said, he just came in the bedroom and he said, let, let, let me hear some of this stuff, man, that you that nice. you listened to. And so I played it. And I think I had um, two songs in particular, I remember. One was, um, well, it's, it's called Mr. Lex now, right? Lexus. Um, the, you know, Gallio Better Can Cook. <laughs> that it was, I think it was Reggae Gold 01, yeah, uh, 2000. Yeah, and and so he said, now I could kind of understand what he's saying. He said to me, man, let me tell you something. He said, Crispin, y'all beats be fire, but nobody can understand what y'all saying. And he said, right. he said, the man that the one, whichever artist y'all got down there that figures out how to make a chorus that Americans can understand, y'all can say whatever y'all want in the verses, 
but just do the chorus that we can understand it, he will be successful. And you know, it's it's interesting because literally within a year, Sean Paul's second album dropped. Mm-hmm. And he said, see, what I tell you? What I tell you? Right. He said, all, right. the, all the girls in America need to understand is give me the light. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. So, you yep. know, bridging the gap is, is I, I get your point heavily about bridging the gap. Absolutely. How do, you, how do you feel personally, Brad, when you see a Russian or an Asian or an Australian crowd react and respond to music and songs that you grew up with? How does that feel, like, personally? I feel proud, man. I feel good. How do you mean? <laughs> you know, you need to... Hey, Crispin, you, your listeners, everybody need to watch that video of China and of the festival that we did in China. And you see them Chinese people jumping up the soca like they're in a fet in China. I'm going you know mean? to post it on our social media and the website. Please do, please do, and I'll send you um, I'll send you some some clips, some shorter clips, so you could have, you know, teasers and so forth. For sure. But it's just incredible because most of those people had never heard soca music before. Isn't that some? You know, that's amazing. But, but it's the beat that's gonna get them. You know, the beat, the the joy. You know, because our music comes from a place of joy for the most part. You know, reggae, reggae has you know. You know, some some joyful music, which is mostly the dance hall, but it's also sufferer music too. You know what I mean? It's a music of struggle. But when you're talking soca, you're talking joy. You know, you're talking excitement. You're talking having a good time. And mm-hmm. when those people heard it, they just jumping up and down and having such an amazing time, and it makes you feel good. And and it, it bridges so many gaps because, like you said, the beat. Uh, everybody from Drake to Justin Bieber to, I mean, you name it. And right. <laughs> they've used soca and dance all beats. Of course. You, you know, people may want to twist it and turn it and call it Tropical House and all sorts of right. nonsense. But no, it's 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 really Caribbean music. You know? Of course. Of course. <laughs> oh, man. Now, realistically speaking, what does success look like for Caribbean music? What, you know, they said the sky's the limit. What, what do you think? Is there a limit? I don't think there's a limit. I mean, I think um, I think there's artists that have paved the way for us, you know, that, that shows what success can look like. You know, Shaggy, for example, who had the number one selling album of, I think it was 2001 or 2003. Um, but whichever year it was, it was the number one selling album. Not the number one selling album reggae album the number one selling album period you know which sold which sold 11 million copies that year diamond right and the next best selling record that year was by InSync, and it sold 5.5 million records so you had shaggy sell twice as much as as InSync, a whole group you know because he figured out that formula which you just spoke about, you know, a hook that everybody could understand. It wasn't me. Everybody get that. Right, right. You know what I mean? Everybody being in a compromising situation at one point in their life, right? Of course. <laughs> Where the only thing was denial. So you have artists like Shaggy, you have Sean who figured it out too. Let me make music that everybody can understand. Let me drop in some U.S. slang. Right. You know, so yeah, he said, you know, give me the light. But he also said, pass me another bottle of mo." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which was straight up U.S. slang. You know, so you have those artists who have paved the way. You know, 
making records, um, breaking records, you know, the highest heights that you can go in the industry, you know, so all we have to do, we have to follow their path and we have to create new, new avenues, you know, based on their success. We have to use that as a template and we have to see how much further we can go with it. No, without calling any names, no. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna. I have a question now. Sure. You, <laughs> I've noticed that <laughs> when West Indian or when Caribbean artists do sign to American labels, it's almost right. it's almost like a death wish. Right. What is it that American labels don't get about Caribbean artists? Because I know that some artists, even on their own. Volition, they, they try to take hip hop beats and then do patois over it. Somehow it right. doesn't work that way. <laughs> right. So it doesn't always work. Yeah, it doesn't right. always work. What is it about uh, Caribbean artists that American labels don't get? Yeah, I think that's the challenge. You know, I think, um, I think the labels, you know, they, they see the music, they find it interesting, they want to do something with it. Um, sometimes it's been successful and sometimes it hasn't been, you know, Shaggy was signed obviously to, to, uh, to, you know, us label to Virgin records. Um, and we recently found out they almost didn't want to put that song out. Yeah. They almost didn't want to put it out. And, and that's the problem, you know, what, what they don't realize is that, you know, Caribbean music has its own, uh, own own lane yeah you know so where they're used to other performers whether it be r&b pop rock you know where there's a different way you market it a different way you package it and a different way you release it you have to understand that that formula may not necessarily work with caribbean music and i think one of the one of the um, challenges has been is that you have u.s labels that are trying to trying to sign Caribbean artists, but they don't have any representation of Caribbean people within the label itself. Yes. You know, they don't have a Caribbean A and R or a Caribbean American A and R who can walk the fine line in between both worlds and say, Okay, look, this artist has this potential, but this is how we have to do it. It's gonna be a little bit differently. Yes, we're gonna take some of your methods, but we, we're gonna have to put in some of these methods as well. And this is how it's going to work. That is so interesting. Talking about having a seat at the table. Yes, that's necessary. Very. Oh my goodness, so interesting. What does Brad Hemmings do to relax? Oh man, if you follow me on my Instagram, at Brad Hemmings, you're going to see me outdoor every opportunity I get. Runyon Canyon. You know? <laughs> yeah, Runyon Canyon in, in Los Angeles. Um, since COVID, this, this has been... Uh, the first time I've I've been in one place for so long, you know. Um, normally I'm traveling, you know, almost every week. You know, there were years that I did two hundred thousand miles. There were years that I saw every single continent within the course of the calendar year. There were two occasions where I went literally around the world. Started in one place, I ended up going around and coming back. Um, but this has been the first year that I've sat still for so long, and. You know, on, on one hand, of course, you know, we, we miss all, all the opportunities that, that we used to have to travel and to see the music in different places and so forth. But on the other hand, it's given me opportunity to, 
to slow down and 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 to enjoy the simple things so you find me outdoor all the time i hike that's that's my thing i like going on on runs i like being in nature and uh in in the lack in the void of traveling what i do i live in los angeles every weekend i find somewhere within maybe three four hours drive of los angeles and and i go and i visit that place and 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 what is brad listening to as he hikes and drives Oh man, you know the funny thing is I listen to audio books for the most part. Ah, okay. Yep. What are some of your favorite uh, books? Uh, I tend to I tend to listen to a lot of um, nonfiction. You know, a lot of quote unquote self improvement books. You know, um, the uh, some that I can think of off the top of my head. You know. Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People That's by that, Dale Carnegie. It's a big popular you one know. on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That that definitely is one that sticks out right away. Um, there's a book called The 50th Law mm-hmm. by 50 Cent, by 50 Cent. And, and Robert Greene yep. that that I love also and, and I have that on repeat. Yeah, so those, those are some of the ones that I listen to. Wonderful, wonderful. What is the next big thing for Brad Hemmings? Oh, boy. You're going to have to ask me that question when COVID is over, yes? <laughs> <laughs> um, at the moment, at the moment, Crispin, I'm, I'm very excited about Mr. Killer's potential. Um, I see him as, as an international star, uh, not just a regional star, you know, and um, one of the times that I really came to that realization was in China, you know, to see the impact that he had on these people that didn't know soccer music, didn't speak English, you know, and treated him like he was Michael Jackson, you know, by the time he got off the stage. You know, I'm very excited about about seeing, you know, him realize his full potential because I think he's just scratching the surface right now. Yeah. And uh, we have some songs in the can. You know, we have some collaborations with some big, big artists, not just regional, but also international, you know, that are in the pipeline. But um, we decided, of course, to hold them back because, you know, a lot of those songs you want, you want to give people the opportunity to go dance and fit, you know, when they're listening to those music. To feel the song. To feel the song, exactly. You don't want to sit home and and watch that on YouTube and, you know, and and dance in your room. You want to go dance in, in in a carnival. You want to go dance in a fit. So we decided there was there were a bunch of songs that we were going to release this year that we decided to hold back mm-hmm. a few of those. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're 105 years old and you are up on the the porch overlooking the water, whether it's Jamaica, Trinidad, LA, wherever, Anguilla, and, and, Anguilla, <laughs> <laughs> and you're in your rocking chair kicking back, what would you say is that thing that you wanted to do? And that you accomplished. What is Brad Hemmings' ultimate goal? Oh man, you know I've been blessed to have, to have realized so many of my goals. You know, but a Grammy would be nice. I'd like to have a Grammy on that Porsche. Ah, great, great goal. Yes, sir. Now, Brad, this is a segment of the interview that I call "The Planet Is Yours." I strap on my spacesuit, I jump into the atmosphere, and I leave you on the planet all alone. Say to the audience whatever it is you want to say to the audience. <laughs> well, 
Well, Chris Ben, uh, I want to thank you for this opportunity to you know to speak um, to your audience. You know, a lot of people don't really get the opportunity to hear you know from the people behind the scenes. You know, everybody wants to hear from the stars, and and I understand that, and I want to hear from them too, and I appreciate that. But um, people don't realize how how important a team is, not just in the music industry, but in life in general. You know, it's very important to build a team of people around you that everybody is working towards common goals, you know, and that everybody has a vested interest, you know, and everybody's loyal to the vision and loyal to the team members, you know. So I would like to say that, you know, find your team, whatever you're doing, whether it's music, whether it's any industry, you know, that you may find yourself in. Find your team, um, learn your part, and do the best that you can. You know, that's all I want to do is do my best. Mm-hmm. Well said, well said. Now, one of the most important questions of the interview, how can we contact Brad Hemmings? How can we see uh, your website, Caribbean Entertainment? Drop your socials, everything on us. Okay, great. So the website is CaribbeanEntertainment.com, spelled out exactly the way it sounds. There's also a shortcut to it, too, which is Carib, just like the beer, the first five letters of Caribbean, C-A-R-I-B-E-N-T, the first three letters of Entertainment.com. Both lead you to our website, where you can find all the contact information for Caribbean Entertainment. Um, If you want to see... If you want to contact me directly or if you want to follow me on Instagram, my personal socials is at Brad Hemmings, both on Instagram and on Twitter. And from there, you can definitely reach out to me. I'd love to hear from everybody. Brad Hemmings, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today on the planet. Thank you for having me on the planet, my brother. (laughs) Anytime. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is OnPlanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet30, visit our website, Planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.